Hello and welcome to The Rundown, a podcast from Politics Home. I'm your host, Alan Tollis. We'll meet you for a special episode on the issues facing the hospitality sector is Kate Nichols, CEO of Industry Group New Hospitality, the Labour MP Charlotte Nichols, Chair of the All Parliamentary Park Group on Pubs, as well as Ellie Hudspeth, Senior Campaign Manager at the consumer organisation Camera. As you can hopefully hear, we're not recording this in our normal studio, but given we wanted to discuss the health of the pub industry, we decided the best thing to do is actually come down to a pub to record this week's show, and not just so I can have a pint at work and charge it to expenses. So here we are in the Feathers in Westminster, just down the road from, from Parliament. And I've wanted to do an episode on this for a while now, but I was kind of spurred into it this week by the kind of recent and unrelenting, really, bad news, you know, whether it's breweries shutting down, pubs closing, music venues not able to keep going. And Kate, your body represents hundreds of companies operate around about 100,000 venues, I think it is. Just give us a sense of what it's like out there at the moment in the industry and why things are so bad at the moment really yeah so we represent the breadth of hospitality so we do everything from a single site independent pub coffee shop bar restaurant right the way through to the national chains and we also cover hotels and fine dining so we've got that breadth of understanding and experience 95 percent of the the market is in membership of ours it's the perfect storm that you've got at the moment for these businesses we have to remember that this is a sector that was hit the hardest hit first hit hardest and hit longest by covid yeah so you've got two and a half years worth of below profitability loss making trading and most of that time closed so that's why it's inherently fragile pre-covid this was a sector that was growing five percent year on year generating one in six of net new jobs and was investing 10 billion pounds in our high streets each and every year so there's reasons to be cheerful there is a lot of positivity out there yeah it's a vibrant and dynamic sector. It just needs to get a break because you've had straight going from COVID, you've gone into a perma crisis with um, high in inflation, supply chain challenges, labor shortages, and then on top of that, the war in Ukraine and the energy crisis. So the reason that you've got that perfect storm at the moment is cost of doing business never been higher. Yeah. Cost of living, consumer expenditure and discretionary spend down and potentially soft. And at the same time, costs are soaring through the roof. So although the, the industry is running to stand still, we get back to 106% of pre-COVID levels of revenue, 85% of, of pre-COVID footfall. You'd need to be doing 125% just to stand still in the current cost price environment, particularly with energy costs soaring. And that's the big game changer. So the industry just needs to get through that. And then we can go back to that positive record that I talked about at the start. Yeah, Elliot, just some of the figures. I saw one in three publishers at risk of failure in the next year. Some data showed about 1,600 hospitality premises closing over the three months at the end of the fourth quarter of 2022. You know, it's not the highest level for, for almost a decade in terms of closures. You know, what have you kind of picked up through camera and, and what do you guys want to see happen to try and reverse some of those, those problems? Yeah, so we are, as consumers, really, really worried about what's happening in the sector. Pubs, social clubs, increasingly the wider bar, brewery tap, restaurant sector. It's a really important cultural thing for us in the UK and their social institutions. They help combat loneliness and social isolation. And what we get from our members and our campaigners is that in a cost of living crisis, people want to go out and support mm. pubs and bars and restaurants, but they can't. Yeah. So that's where we need the government to use this budget to really um, do something. It's, it's a make or break moment, as Kate said. We're, it's a resilient industry and there's some amazing people in it that want to do great things but we just need that support right now yeah yeah well so we'll come on to that kind of aspect of why it's not a normal sector in that sense it's got a lot more to it more rounded 
breweries is one of the things that's dear to my heart as drinking a pint as I am now. Lots of closures last year, already about 12 closures this year. One of them, you know, last year was Twisted Wheel in your Warrington constituency, Charlotte. Hopefully, it looks like they might be sort of resurrected in, in some form, but Unity in Southampton, Dig in Digworth this week. You know, what have the APBG kind of seen over this kind of time and, and why is that, that breweries especially are kind of really struggling at the moment? So I think, as Kate said, it really is the perfect storm of a number of different factors. Ukraine was obviously somewhere where a majority of grain was coming from. So that's something that's really hit breweries in particular because those raw materials that they're using to make the products that they're making have become either unavailable or massively more expensive than they were before. The cost of energy, I saw a quite funny tongue-in-cheek tweet from a brewery recently saying that their brewing machine was now a sort of accredited living wage employee yeah. um, because it was costing them something More like... More than £10 an hour. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. You know, it was costing them sort of £12 an hour to be running this machine that yeah. you know had previously been a fraction of that. Mm. And you know, as much as that was obviously tongue-in-cheek, that's something that when you add in increased labour costs, you know, a lot of breweries are very small businesses. They're really wanting to do the best for the employees that work for them and in a cost of living crisis are going to want to be you know paying them more where they can but all of that is ultimately eating into their bottom line there's a number of issues when you get from breweries into pubs particularly in terms of how expensive it can be sometimes to actually supply to a pub under certain licensing rules in different institutions and different contracts and all these sorts of things that essentially mean that all of these things together make it almost impossible to be doing business without that support and we Mm. have seen as in the case of Twisted Wheel in my constituency consumers really doing everything they can to be supporting them buying direct from the brewery and so on but at a time when everyone is really feeling that pinch it can't be individual consumers and community groups and local camera branches that are trying to keep the sector going it's got to be the government doing what they can to recognize the unique role of breweries and of pubs in our communities up and down the country and providing that extra support within the budget and i think it's really important as well that you recognize that this is such a huge industry yes it's made up of many thousands of small businesses but this is an industry that's worth 130 billion pounds a year. It's bigger than aerospace, automotive and pharmaceuticals put together. Right. It's the third largest export earner. People spend more eating and drinking out in our pubs, bars, restaurants and hotels than all of our food and drink exports put together. It generates £40 billion of tax for the exchequer, You know, 3.2 million employees. The stats go on and on and on and on and on. But also important, as, as it's already been said, socially and culturally as well. So you, you need that network that goes through. So this is an industry that's too big to be a allowed to fail because the knock-on effect as we saw through covid you turn us off you switch us off we have knock-on effects all the way through in our communities in our investment in the the health and well-being of the nation you've got a big knock-on effect up the supply chain not just on the breweries as well but all the farmers food producers yeah kate you obviously you were speaking in parliament this morning at the public accounts committee you know a lot of the calls from from campaign groups are for things like you know vat reduction business rates these are kind of things that I've been reporting on for the last two or three years that have not, still not come. Do you feel that the Treasury gets it or gets why it's so important to provide this? Or do you think that sometimes a bit of lip service really from the Treasury in terms of giving that support, you know? Well, I think 
you know, you do need to recognise the fact that during COVID, we did have unprecedented levels of support for this sector. Yeah. And we've still got the sector singled out for support when it comes to business rates. You get 75% reduction in business rates. It's subject to a cap. And there are some innovative measures that are coming through in, in the pub space. In particular, if you look at the duty differential, making it a lower price to, to drink in a pub has to be better. Yeah. We need that introduced as quickly as possible. And we need it to be widened so it's meaningful. But, you know, there is a lot that the government has done, continues to do and more latterly the energy support guarantee you know energy is a game changer as far as our sector is concerned we are the second most dependent upon energy we are the most energy intensive second most energy intensive we fail the test for being energy intensive going forward so our support will taper in april yeah but there's no doubt that without that uh, massive injection in in october you would have had thousands of businesses across hospitality fail. M- millions of jobs would have been lost on the back of it. So we have had, I think we do need to recognise the government has done a lot. Yeah. £39 billion pounds and, and the, the, you know, the front benches and the, the other parties as well have backed that and helped to press for that to be sustained over the course of the last three years. My concern at the moment is that that support on energy in particular and business rates tapers away in, in April this, this coming year before we're out of the crisis. Yeah. And energy in particular has gone from being the fourth largest cost centre for a hospitality outlet or a pub like this to being the second 15% of its total revenues yeah. which means that it's more than rent and rates combined that's why it's a game changer I think the public accounts committee Dame Meg Hillier was saying that a pub in her constituency would have to charge an £18 pint just to cover well, the cost of the it's, energy it's getting bill. that way anyway to be honest but it yeah. is but we agreed that even in Hoxton that yeah. was not sustainable <laughs> but you know the reality is it's not going to be passed on to the consumer we yeah. can't do that but it is going to mean that overnight that business is unviable and stops and that's an award winning pub and that's happening up and down the country so we do need a rethink on how quickly that support is tapering and what that means in practice in terms of both inflation but also business viability and insolvency. We'll talk about energy again a bit but Ellie obviously deal with campaigns at at Cameron what's the big campaign you guys are pushing for ahead of the the budget is it again around those kind of things on VAT and and business rates and that sort of stuff? Absolutely so we have a three point plan that we've currently got a lot of our members and supporters across the UK lobbying MPs on that is about the new draft duty rate for beer and cider setting that at 20% of the general duty rate yeah. and this is not just amazing for for cask beer and pubs but it's actually really healthy <laughs> for the treasury because HMRC recognise that consumption in pubs is better in terms of the tax gap yeah. than in the off trade the tax gap increases when consumption moves into the off trade so there's actually aside from the amazing health and social benefits of pubs there's some really good economic reasons to do these things as well mm. <laughs> yeah definitely Charlie you sit on the, the all party group with other with conservative members and people in the house of laws is there a lot of agreement do you think around this kind of stuff or is there kind of divide on whether what support is kind of needed at the moment I think actually within the APPG and within the groups within parliament that I speak to other related all party parliamentary groups um in the wider sector there is broad agreement that this is some very common sense proposals and I think MPs in particular really understand the role that pubs play within our communities. I've often talked about since time of Thatcher a kind of hollowing out of the public sphere in the UK Mm. and there are pretty much two institutions that in any community in the country you are guaranteed to find and that is a pub and some sort Mm. of religious space. 
I live in a village in Kent and it has a pub and a church. And that's what I'm saying, you know, a lot of community centres have closed over the years, you know, libraries have been closing down. All of these sort of community spaces that we used to take for granted that were up and down the community, as I said, it's literally only pubs and, you know, churches or other faith spaces that have remained within that public sphere. And I think that's what makes pubs have a really special and particular role when we're thinking about public policy because Mm. certainly in my constituency you know it's pubs that the local sports teams uh, run out of whether it's our Sunday league football whether it's our rugby league teams you know whether it's running clubs and things like that it's where people go to listen to history lectures it's where our bands go to you know find their sort of first audiences when they're playing it's all of those things within that wider sphere and even when it comes to religious groups actually because they find that a lot of the time people might not want to come into a church because of their relationship with faith and so on that you'll find that actually a lot of religious groups will run things in pubs. So we have the Ruth Group run by my local Anglican church in one of our local pubs in Manchester because the synagogue there is getting renovated at the moment. They run Torah on tap in the pub (laughs) so that people can come and learn about Judaism in a kind of neutral space Mm. that isn't... And this is what I mean, you know, pubs have this really special, unique role within the British public sphere and that needs to be recognised by the government. It's not just a place to, you know, go and have a drink. Yeah. They are literally the heart of every community up and down the country. And once that's gone, it is impossible really to replace. Yeah. I'm really interested, yeah, the idea is kind of third spaces. Mm. You know, social, uh, you know, places that aren't home, that aren't work, where you can go and do things. And do you think that maybe they, that argument has been made enough, really? Or, or, the, or the government understands that it's not purely... You talked about teaching it to the treasury in kind of financial terms it's better do you think that the argument has been made enough that it isn't just about revenue and, H- and what HMRC gets it's more than that really it's an argument that we can always make more right. and I think what people really should look at is the increasing trend in community pub ownership yeah mm. At Camera, we are so in favour. We run a Saving Your Local Pub service. We work with the Plunkett Foundation, who do amazing work in this area. We are not aware, even through COVID and the current cost of business crisis, any community-owned pubs failing. And that is because they are built by communities around their local community with services for their community. And, you know, this is absolutely the heart of what we at Camera want as consumers in this area. Yeah. Yes, you can always do more to explain the social and cultural benefit, the community benefit. I think it is well understood because almost every MP has the same experience as Charlotte as it's the heart of their community. It's a sort of key cornerstone. But I think what you've got, it's not recognised in public policy. So there is no formal metric for looking and valuing community good and force for good. It does happen in other parts of the world. There are other parts of the world that do have financial metrics to look at health, but also have a community contribution and and, uh, well-being. And the other thing is that there was some research out um, by the post office yesterday, actually. One in two people over the last six months have experienced loneliness. And that's some of the things. and, And half of them said that the place that they went to to get a connection back with a human being to overcome loneliness was in a pub or a cafe or a a restaurant as well. And really worryingly, it was our 18 to 24 year olds. So we have a young generation who are feeling isolated, feeling lonely, 
and hospitality is the one thing that connect them can, and bring them back into connection, whether that's community pubs, neighbourhood restaurants, whether it's through employment or being a customer. So I do think we need to find a way of valuing that and quantifying that to put into the numbers in Treasury. Yeah, and we're seeing a lot, a lot of the closures that we're seeing, in, uh, especially in London, are because of the owners want to turn it into more lucrative things like property and that sort of stuff. And we obviously we have the pubs code that was brought in a few years ago. I just wonder what your thoughts were on that and whether that needs to be improved, perhaps have more powers to be able to make sure that if we're in danger of losing a pub to you know to, to commercial property or to, to housing, that there are ways of kind of preventing that and, and explaining why it's better for everyone if it remains a pub potentially. Yeah, I mean, the closures that we've seen most recently and through COVID in the last year, particularly when you're looking at the end of last year, 75% of closures happened last year in the last six months and they're mainly energy driven. Yeah. They are mainly costs. Yeah. So it's not about somebody taking it over and it's not about land use. It is about costs and readdressing that cost base. And it's about pre-profit taxes that we've got. We are the most heavily taxed sector of the economy you know if you look at the business rates and property taxes you know a third of all of our revenues go back to the exchequer in tax so you need to look at that and most of those failures came in restaurants and late night bars and and um, nightclubs so it, the pub sector actually has survived better it's still struggling but it's survived better than some of the other hospitality uses and partly that's because you've had a, a more benign environment in terms of rent and landlords now i think the pubs code needs to be reviewed and refreshed and, and looked at again but I think the protections that we've got in place both through agent of change through community pub orders do mean that we're not losing pubs to development in the same way that we were before yeah definitely you talk then about taxation alcohol duty has been a huge thing I was looking at apparently the UK it's 14 times higher than in Germany, apparently, at the moment. You know, yeah, and, but uh, and equally, I mean, duty is, is a, a one component of it. Duty is a tax on producers. Retail sales tax, 20%. Yeah. We right. have the highest VAT in eating and drinking out and tourism across the whole of the EU. And we are, out of 150 international tourism destinations, we are 148th in terms of price competitiveness. So sales tax, also a big component of it. So yes, we need to look at what's happening in the supply chain on brewers who pay the duty but we also need to look at what's happening in our pubs and bars and the retail environment yeah do you think there's been a bit too much of kind of a they call them sin taxes they obviously alcohol we need to be careful about alcohol intake and we know during lockdown there was issues of, of high alcohol intake especially people stuck at home but do you think that we've got the balance right in terms of you know taxing bill whether it actually is seen as a bit of a poor a tax on poor people or tax on working class people to have those higher taxes on, on consumption i think when we're looking at alcohol consumption and alcohol harm, one of the things that often gets missed in this discussion and debate is about how much better it is if you are drinking to be drinking in a pub than to be drinking at home. Absolutely. We all know yes. that obviously there's weights and measures legislation in pubs. So, you know, what I would pour as, you know, a gin and tonic if you were around my house versus, <laughs> you know, what we would get yeah. in this pub today are probably two very different things. You also have certain legal responsibilities on the people that are running the bar and the bar staff to be able to say, you know, you've had enough, mate. And all of these sorts of things actually mean that they act as a way of encouraging responsible drinking in a way that drinking at home is often where more of that harm sets in. So right. I think and if that's that a cheaper option as well. Then that's yeah. Kind of so I think when we're talking about things like taxes around alcohol, it is fair to maybe be looking at you know how cheaply supermarkets can sell certain types of you know wine and spirits and particularly some of the very high abv stuff but i don't think that you address problem drinking 
through making it overly expensive within pubs because that's somewhere where you're less likely to see that. And again, you know, having the social connection and people drinking with others, it's not just the people who are running the pub who would sort of be keeping an eye on someone else's drinking. It's the other people that are within the pub and so on. So there is a kind of social contract almost if you're within a pub versus when you're at home that you're going to be drinking in a more responsible way. When we talk about all of these things, it's important that, you know, we are taking into account things like alcohol harms. But when you look at most pubs nowadays, the amount of alcohol-free options that are available, low and no alcohol sort of alternatives that are becoming increasingly yeah. the stigma's been removed available. A lot from the yeah, kind of yeah. yeah, and you know, again, we find that as a, with you know, with some of the church groups and so on that I mentioned that meet in my local pub, you know, they're not they're not, they're drinking, not drinking when much. they're there. Yeah, you know, yeah. they're they're having a coffee, but it's it's that space within yeah. the community that they're using. We have to really look at it in the round rather than trying to punish pubs for something that is actually a much wider societal issue and which pubs are really working quite hard to try to address. Yeah. When we're talking about taxation and things like that, something that, you know, at camera we're so aware of is that blunt force measures like increasing taxation, they impact upon uh, small businesses first and kind of more acutely. And for us, for consumer choice in the beer sector, you know, small and independent brewers are are really important to have. Mm, yeah, exactly. And, you know, when you look at things like competition and economies of scale, you're you're going to put the small businesses out first. And that's where we see the variety and the diversity and leaps forward in no and low and innovation. And you can now get low and no alternatives to, you know, what we at Camera would call real ale yes. that taste brilliant yeah i regularly drink low and no beer now when i never used to yeah Um, and we need to make sure that we're preserving that choice in the market and understanding the consequences for small business yeah that's why ellie's so right that you know the the policy on duty differential that a lower rate of duty charged to a pub which is a safe space to be consuming alcohol giving a direct incentive to customers to come back out to their pub that's the way forward and that has to be in place as soon as possible and widened as quickly as possible i'll come on to energy back to energy in a second but you mentioned about staffing has been one of the issues yes. a lot of a lot of the conversations we're having around other industries brexit isn't mentioned probably nearly enough in these conversations i just wondered what you what you made of the impact of that at the moment and how much of an impact that might have going forward around staffing and other issues as well yeah i mean i think if you look at the economy as a whole we've clearly got a record number of vacancies and have had over the course of the year so this is not just a hospitality specific yeah. issue it's economy wide the nhs wide. is more than 100,000 yeah, uh, i think the it's NHS um, over a million vacancies over the course of the last year across the economy as a whole so it's quite clearly there's a disconnect we don't have enough people able to do the jobs that need doing in the economy in hospitality we've been running at around 10% vacancy rate that's double what it was pre-pandemic so it's considerably higher The issues to do with labour market, I think, are primarily COVID-related and demographic-related. Brexit makes it harder to put right because Brexit has resulted in a a very tough immigration policy as a points-based system which is inflexible and isn't flexing to the needs of the economy. And so that's where Brexit comes into it. Pre-COVID, we had about 25% of the workforce in hospitality was non-UK, split equally, half EU, half rest of the world. We lost a considerable number of our European workers in particular, but rest of the world workers during COVID. People went home and haven't come back. And now it's very difficult for people to get back into the country through legal migration routes um, and economic migration routes because they have to have they have to be for jobs that are higher skilled do you think it's at the point now where 
hospitality should be listed as a shortage occupation and, and to lower those barriers to get more people to come and do those jobs. I think you jobs. do need to look again at the shortage occupation lists and you need to look again at the way in which the immigration regime is working to make sure that you've got flexibility to, to, to uh, accommodate the needs of, of the economy as a whole. Shortage occupation list itself won't do very much because you, you, you've still got to be an NVQ level three, so an A-level rated yeah. job to come in. It just lowers the salary at which you're able to, to come in. But you have got considerable problems and we need to address it as an economy because half of our businesses in hospitality are saying that they are turning away business. They are reducing their hours. Yeah. They're closing for certain days of the week. They're not selling hotel rooms. They're not selling event space because they don't have enough staff to meet demand. Central London hotels turned away room bookings at the Queen's funeral weekend because we didn't have sufficient staff to meet demand. It's costing the economy £25 billion a year. Yeah. It's costing the exchequer £7 billion in lost taxes. We need to address this, otherwise we've got problems going forward. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. If you, if you, if you kind of pick that up from, from camera members that just can't get the staff at the moment and that's a big barrier to, to be able to do the things they want to do. Absolutely, you know, we, we spend a lot of time talking to brewers and to publicans and listening because that's part of our role as consumers is understanding the, the, the needs of the sector. Uh, we don't really like calling it the sector because that's a bit corporate, we're, you know, we're consumers. Yeah. But, you know, the consequence of that as well and, of uh, you know, pubs closing early, not opening for their advertised opening hours that's really really bad for people who maybe aren't complete pub converts yet because yes. when they go to a pub and find it closed yeah they might not go back again yeah, and yeah. when the pubs reopened there was an awful lot of new staff and things weren't running quite as smoothly as you might have imagined I gave them a lot of time to, to do so but it's, yeah. it's kind of hard if that carries on if you're still not expecting that level of service well that, that's partly why people have moved away from that so i think when we reopened after covid people reopened with their full opening hours and the staff were were burning out quite quickly because they were trying to do too much with a vacancy rate of one in ten yeah now people have adjusted their hours but that's having a real impact on their ability to absorb the extra costs that are hitting them and ability to remain viable so we do need to look at it and you know the other thing that we have talked about with the chancellor in the run up to the budget you need to look at the apprenticeship levy can we have some flexibility in the apprenticeship levy the Labour Party policy is right if we had some flexibility there we could get some of those people who are economically inactive but need additional support need additional training the businesses don't have the headroom to be able to make that investment mm. if we could use our apprenticeship levy funds we could turbocharge recruitment from the, the domestic population, those who are disabled, long-term unemployed, over 50s, young people, but we need some incentives to yeah. be able to do that. Before we wrap up, we go back to energy, there's obviously the really, really generous scheme from the, from the Treasury like last last year that was coming to an end in March. It's going to taper down, as Kate was saying. Do you think that we're going to see a, a rabbit in the out of the hat at the budget, do you think, on this? or, or, or what? I mean, I'm hopeful, but... As Kate said, you know, energy is the second biggest aspect, but it's getting that labour piece right as well. And I think one of the things that we have really seen from the sector is a real willingness to engage with parts of the population that have been economically inactive for whatever reason. And we're seeing really great schemes. There's something that's run by Green King in my constituency where they're working with my local prison and people that are soon to be coming out of prison because we know that those sorts of training schemes and so on can help with ensuring that once they're released from prison that they're not going back into crime. But it's also you know, someone that might find it really hard to get a job because of that record they're doing a lot of work with people with disabilities and learning disabilities but if we have something that's supporting not only the energy 
crisis that's facing the sector, but also making it easier for publicans and for the sector more widely to be benefiting from these sorts of schemes and initiatives and so on and being able to invest in those and having some of it a bit de-risked by the government those two things together they've been talking about the economically inactive people a lot yeah. and how important it is to try and get people back so you think hospitality is a way of getting absolutely people back? and hospitality is a great job i mean i've often said my older sister runs a pub and i've spent a lot of time working in pubs growing up that it's one of those things that is probably the most useful bit of all of my CV to being an MP. It's a great job, it's a great career, and it can be the kind of skills that you can take to almost any other sector, including politics. Yeah. Uh, well, somebody spent a lot of time working behind bars as a student. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. but <laughs> it's, it's that thing that, as I said, if they can pull those two things out of the hat, I think there will be a sigh of relief across the country. But they can't really do one without doing the other yeah. and expect the sector to be able to not only survive but also thrive. There's places that are surviving and, and rather than thriving but are keeping going. They talk about there being a sort of a, you know, looking for that light at the end of the tunnel. Ellie, what do you think is that light at the end of the tunnel? What's, what needs to change for that light to get a bit closer and for them to get through that and get back <laughs> to perhaps the pre-COVID trading situation essentially? Yes, yeah, so we really want to see the government kind of seize on this opportunity of reforming the alcohol duty system, having that draft duty rate. Yeah. You know, that's a bold policy in itself, but be bolder, make that differential with the general duty rate bigger. We need something more sustainable on business rates, maybe a lower multiplier of some sort for the hospitality sector. You know, as Kate said, VAT. The sector can bounce back and there's amazing people in it. There's so many reasons why this is an amazing thing to, to invest in for our kind of culture, for our well-being. It's a make or make budget is what, what, what we're saying, what we believe. And that's what we, we need the government to act now yeah, yeah. <laughs> and not in two years when it's too late. And we have more. We have so many pub buildings standing empty or just mm. shut for business right now. That's bad for the economy. That's bad for consumers like me. Yeah, <laughs> I would agree. I mean, you've got £39 billion worth of good reasons why you should do something now. Right. Otherwise, you waste that money. We, we took the sector through covid we protected the businesses and the jobs. It was the right decision to do. But if you men invested that amount of public money in the sector, don't cut it short now when it's just got that hump to get through. Yeah. It's, a, it's a waste of that money if they're not going to keep it all the way through, absolutely. right? And the reasons to be positive, we know that this sector will get back to growth. We know that once we get through the cost of living crisis, half of consumers say that they will prioritise spending on eating and drinking out as soon as they've got disposable income. Right. Second is go away and have a holiday in the UK and third is a foreign holiday. So we know that the sector will generate jobs and growth. We will forecast growth 5% year on year before COVID hit. If we could get back to 3% growth, which was the latest forecast, that'll generate jobs, growth and investment at pace in every constituency in every part of the country if we can get through the next six months. So give us a shot of energy and oxygen and we will repay you in dividends and we'll get back to £10 billion of investment in our high streets, one in six of net new jobs, £39 billion worth of tax. Oh, well, let's drink to that then, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we've got time for this week. But you can read all the latest on the big stories from Westminster at politicshome.com and keep right up to date by subscribing to our seven-day newsletters by clicking on the link in the top right hand corner of the website thanks to my brilliant guests kate nichols charlotte nichols and ellie husbeth and thanks very much to the feathers for hosting us thanks all again for listening please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review if you want to get in touch then reach out to us on twitter at politics home or email us via news at politicshome.com but for now i've been alan tollers and this has been the rundown <laughs>